Welcome to Burlington Humane, the podcast of the Burlington Humane Society, Ontario's premier no-kill shelter. Bye, society. Bye, society. Burlington Humane is my society. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Burlington Humane, the podcast of the Burlington Humane Society. My name is Doug, and I'm coming to you from beautiful Burlington, Ontario, Canada. On this episode of Burlington Humane, we're going to talk with Ryan Rainville from Skedaddle. He'll talk about what we can do to limit the prevalence of wildlife in and around our home. We'll talk with Jenna Bai from Save Our Scruff. We'll learn about what Save Our Scruff is all about and what they do. And we'll hear all about the latest news and events. So stay with us for this and much more on Burlington Humane. The intrusion of wildlife is a constant struggle. But there are things that we can do to limit wildlife from coming in and around our homes. I talked with Ryan Rainville from Skedaddle on best practices to keep wildlife at bay. I'm here with Ryan Rainville from Skedaddle. Welcome Ryan to Burlington Humane. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell me about Skedaddle. What is Skedaddle? Yeah, Skedaddle's a, a company that was started in, in 1989 that does humane removals of, of wildlife from, from homes and businesses. So that could be you know, a family of raccoons in the attic. It could be skunks below the deck, that sort of thing. What we do is you know, figure out how and where the animals are getting in and then come up with a game plan in order to remove the wildlife humanely and then do the repair work or install the barriers needed to, to prevent their re-entry. And is that a real problem in this area? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, I think Southern Ontario, Burlington in particular, you know, it has has got a lot of urban wildlife. So raccoons, skunks, squirrels, birds, bats are kind of the, you know, the main ones. And they're all comfortable, you know, living amongst human and living, living amongst humans and living in cities. And so, you know, in the houses that, that we have, the way that they're built are kind of lend themselves to there's lots of spaces and you know in walls and vents and attics that they can get into and occupy where they're kind of out of the elements they're they're protected it's maybe a good spot to raise babies you know and, and you know the occupiers of that home the people who are living at home maybe aren't aware of it right away or, or you know they don't see it they don't hear it and it kind of develops a little bit over time and we live in a climate that's seasonal and we've just come through a, a cold winter is that when you see most of the animals scampering into people's homes yeah it's 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 kind of one of those things when if i, I meet somebody and they, you know i tell them what i do and it may might be fall or winter they must be saying oh you must be really busy this time of year because it's getting cold and they assume it's cold animals are moving in you know it's you know, it's the kind of the opposite is true. Fall and winter are kind of our, our slower periods. Um, when it gets really cold, animals tend to hunker down. And when, you know, they might be inside your attic, but if they're sleeping or not terribly active, you might not hear them. And so the phone really starts to ring uh, for us in spring. You know, that's when animals are, you know, the weather's warming up. There's, you know, they're 
on the lookout for or foraging for food. They're looking for mates. When they once they found a mate, you know, babies arrive, and you go from hearing maybe the occasional noise now and get now and again from a raccoon to you know, you've got a mum who's got you know anywhere from four to six babies, which is kind of typical, um, and they're crying from the moment they're born, and you know they're not you know leaving and up and out of the den site for you know up to 12 weeks after they're born so spring is really the busy time for us and that's it's kind of the same with us actually here at burlington humane during the winter all the animals are in people's sheds under porches and it's not until the spring that they start coming out and that's when people see the strays and often the babies yeah, absolutely, and and it's one of those it's one of those things that yeah, if if there's not a lot of activity, people just assume the the problem's gone or that yeah. you know nothing's going on, and you know it's uh, one of those things that yeah, as the weather warms up, people begin you know kind of walking around their property, getting out in the backyard, doing spring cleaning. We get a lot of calls for you know, people who've maybe put a tarp over top of patio furniture, and you know the first kind of warm day in spring they go to remove that tarp and find out maybe a mother squirrel and babies is tucked underneath or found that spot or even raccoons in in kind of you know sort of odd places so there's lots of wildlife activity that that's going on that kind of happens you know sort of under our nose you don't necessarily aren't necessarily aware of it until it's in your house in your attic and then it's and the noises are constant that you become aware of what's going on and what are the major culprits I would say raccoons are, are, you know, throughout the year are kind of our biggest call, especially during spring, followed by squirrels. We get a lot of calls for, for skunks as well, typically getting underneath decks and sheds and that sort of thing. And then birds, our, our biggest call related to birds, you know, residentially is, you know, starlings that get into vents, you know, on, on the exterior walls of, of, of homes. And so specific breeds of, of birds yeah exactly no, normally starlings um and, and a lot of times it's in new development areas especially in burlington where you've got you know a lot of new development that's happened over when i say new i mean over the past maybe 20 years or so mm-hmm. maybe not a lot of mature trees in those neighborhoods and so the nesting opportunities get a little bit limited and they kind of supplement those nests but nests by finding you know their way into you know those vents and so we get a lot of calls for those as well in burlington and do you get calls mainly from people living in the urban area of Burlington or out in the rural area? I'd say it's a, a mixed bag. It, it's probably the more urban suburban area, truthfully. You know, it's seldom, you know, in rural areas. I think there's there's generally, there's less wildlife, you know, urban wildlife in rural areas. In other words, there are probably more raccoons in urban areas than there are in rural areas. And that's just because there's more um, opportunities for shelter because there's more sheds and decks and chimneys and attics. Um, and there's more food, you know, in a dense area, right? They've got more opportunities. So they don't have to, you know, their raccoons are good foragers and they're opportunistic and they just find more opportunities in, in urban areas. So they can, more wildlife can be supported, you know, certain types of wildlife, of course, raccoons being one of them, um, in an urban area than out in a rural, you know, in, in a, you know, farmland setting, there's probably far fewer raccoons. Interesting. And I guess we encourage wildlife to come into our area because of, well, one garbage that we leave out. I know on garbage day, (laughs) garbage is spread out everywhere. Yeah, garbage day, it's, you know, food that, you know, gets you know, thrown into, you know, maybe it's a, a public trash bin, right? And you throw a half a sandwich out, you know, it that garbage that's sitting overnight, you can bet that a raccoon is going to, you know, hop into that bin overnight and try to find a meal. Um, they find food, you know, from 
bird feeders. It could be pet food that gets left outside. Um, once you know we get into spring and into summer, obviously everyone, a lot of vegetable gardens, that sort of thing. So there's lots of food, you know, mm -hmm. in a very very small area. And, and raccoons have a really, you know, specifically have a really really small range. You know, they're not going to travel kilometers and kilometers. You know, they uh, the life of a raccoon happens within you know, probably one or two square kilometers. Mm -hmm. um, but they know, you know, all the den sites. You know, they usually have multiple den sites that they'll live in. You know, and you know they'll know where they can reliably get food. And if they can't, or that food source moves away, then they'll they'll move to to find the next uh, the next food source. And I've heard even when you try and do good, like put up a bird feeder to feed the birds in the winter to keep them alive and healthy, that just encourages other wildlife to come by as well. Yeah, it's it's amazing, you know you know the urban ecosystem yeah that you know everything is is kind of connected and yeah if you put out bird seed birds are messy eaters so much of it hits the ground hits the floor and you know a lot of it a lot of the activity happens at night too so mice and rats and that sort of thing are gonna they're gonna be you know they're gonna be seeking that food as well and you might not see them you know during the day but you know certainly at night you will and it's amazing these days so many people have you know, security cameras around their home that are running, you know, 24 hours a day. It's amazing how much wildlife, you know, is passing through our yards, you know, uh, you know, under our nose and, and, you know, skunks and raccoons are nocturnal as well. So there's a lot of, a lot of animals that are around far more than, than we, that we, you know, see in our kind of just normal travels. Mm. Yeah. And I guess the seed attracts the mice, which attract the coyotes. Oh, it just goes on and on, eh? Ah, so what can people do now, now that spring is coming, what can they do to, to lessen the, the effects of wildlife? Yeah, I think if you want to avoid problems, I think, you know, maintaining your, your home is probably, you know, one of the best things that you can do. So if you noticed, you know, maybe some damage from, from winter um, to shingles, or if there's a piece of aluminum flashing that's come loose, that sort of thing, now's a good time to, to get that dealt with. Um, clean out any gutters that might be backed up because that, that, um, you know, that water that's backing up is going to lead to, you know, potential problems and rot and that sort of thing. So getting on top of, you know, those household chores, especially now where, you know, wildlife is active, it's warm enough, but maybe you're thinking, okay, I don't want to really want to get out in 10 degree weather and do some of these things mm -hmm. I think is a good idea. Keeping your garbage secure, keeping your property kind of tidy and trim. Obviously, you know, if you've got a lot of items, you know, stored in the, the backyard, you got the, the summer tires and that type of thing, that those are all harborage sites for, for wildlife. So keeping your, your property clean and, you know, the lawn trim and, you know, getting rid of clutter that might not necessarily be necessary is, is going to reduce sort of those, those harborage sites and, and, and kind of reduce the overall number of, of wildlife that are going to be around your home. Hmm. Now, if, is spring a little bit too late to start doing the home repairs? Should we assume that the wildlife have already moved in? Should we call Skedaddle to come in and do a search around the house? Or do we wait until we actually hear something or see evidence? Yeah, I think, you know, like, like most things, um, you know, being proactive is probably your, your, your best bet. Um, you know, even if, even if you do your a really good spring cleaning, you know, the way our homes are constructed, they're probably not built to be raccoon proof. So even if you did some of these things, you might make it a little bit, you know, less challenging or a little bit less likely that you're going to get raccoons in, but it's probably not going to be impossible. Um, you know, squirrels can chew on plastic and aluminum and raccoons can lift soffits and damage flashing. So it's, it's not a guarantee. Um, most people will call us 
after they've kind of realized they've had a problem, not proactively, but certainly if you were concerned or maybe you thought you had, you maybe heard some noises over winter, um, now's a good time to get out because if you can deal with the problem before babies arrive and in spring is when babies arrive, it's a lot easier to remove one adult raccoon than it is to remove a mother and six babies that she might have stashed away in a, you know, a challenging area of the the attic for us to be able to retrieve them from. So, you know, certainly being proactive, I think is is probably the the way to go. But uh, unfortunately, most people don't, you know, they, they assume I've not, I've not got a problem today. I won't have one tomorrow and they drive on. People think they're busy lives, so it's, it's understandable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So you'll remove the wildlife and you'll take them away so they won't come back. Well, that's just it. So that's, I mean, that's, you know, with, with our service, you know, we don't take animals away, right? And, and people wonder, you know, why, why not relocate them? You know, the, the truth is, you know, there's really no place we can take them that, that wants them, right? So, you know, if we were removing you know, we catch a squirrel in Burlington and drive it to Oakville. You know, you can imagine probably someone in Oakville is doing the same thing and bringing a squirrel from Oakville. So you probably end up just kind of trading those, those, those problems. And, you know, if you just, if you capture an animal, trap it and relocate it, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, spin-off effects, especially when you get mum and babies. So if you could separate a mum from babies, um, and you might not be aware that you've got babies in, you know, in your attic, you could trap mum, mm-hmm. take her away, and all of a sudden the, the babies are orphaned. So that's a challenge. We get a lot of calls for people who've been, you know, setting traps and just didn't think that there might be babies in the picture. And the babies are in trouble. And the babies are in trouble in that scenario with, without mum, especially if they're, they're very young. Um, and then the other issue is, you know, even if you, you're never going to trap all the raccoons in, in, in Burlington, you're never going to get all the squirrels mm-hmm. in it. So well, you, somebody will just move in. That's it. You open up the space and all the other ones that are just kind of on the periphery are, are they're going to occupy. There's a reason why, you know, they were there in the first place. So, mm-hmm. you know, we focus more on wildlife proofing the home. You know, it's, yeah, you know, you're not going to get rid of all the squirrels or raccoons or skunks, but if you can make your home, you know, impenetrable to those animals then you don't have to worry about them it's okay for them to be in the in the city if they can't get into your attic um you know so that's you know again securing some of the vulnerable areas on your roof you know that could be vents on your roof or or soffits that might be loose if you can raccoon proof or wildlife proof your home then you stand the best chance of of you know keeping it free of wildlife yeah and i guess you mentioned earlier that wildlife have multiple dens usually so if your house is blocked off, they can't get into that den. There are others that they'll that they can get into. That's just it. They know, you know, they they know of other places. And I always, you know, I'm always telling homeowners, you know, they were living somewhere before they they lived in your attic. In other words, they didn't, oh, you know, yeah. they didn't come in from out of town or drop from the sky. They, they you know, they raccoons, you know, they they say in in studies, you know, it's anywhere from five to ten, you know, alternate den sites that they're going to be aware of. So if you yeah, if you remove them from your attic and you're thinking, oh, no, I'm kind of leaving this raccoon homeless. It knows where to go. It knows of other places that it, mm-hmm. it can go, whether those are natural den sites in a tree or something like that, or could be underneath a culvert or a shed two doors down or a, underneath a deck. It's going to know other places that it can go and find shelter. Great. So if somebody has a problem, how can they get a hold of Skedaddle? Yeah, you can... Uh, uh, visit our website, so that's skedaddlewildlife.com. Uh, you can give us a call, one 9453 um, or email service at skedaddlewildlife.com. If you've got an inquiry or you, you suspect you might have a problem or maybe you, you had a problem over winter that you a lot of people think you know, is going to kind of resolve itself or they'll leave once things warm up, generally it gets worse when the babies arrive. So now's a good time. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Ryan for joining us here at Burlington Humane. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
she's there for you when work is stressful. She's there for you when life is hard. She's there for you when you need a friend. Be there for her. Register for Pet First Aid today. The next course is July 9th here at Burlington Humane. All countries have problems with stray and abandoned dogs, each with their own degree of severity. We are lucky in Canada that stray dogs are not a major issue, but that's not the case in other countries. Save Our Scruff is an organization that helps stray dogs from other countries. I talked with Jenna Bai about what Save Our Scruff does to assist other countries with the canine overpopulation problem. I'm here with Jenna Bai from Save Our Scruff. Welcome, Jenna, to Burlington Humane. Thank you so much for having me. So what is Save Our Scruff? So Save Our Scruff is a dog rescue. So we are pretty much an adoption agency similar to the Burlington Humane. So we bring dogs in and then we adopt them out to locals. We also support with education, individually talking to people to help them figure out how to be a better dog parent or just how to, you know, communicate with their dogs um, locally and internationally. And we also run spay and neuter clinics as well. Wow. Now here at Burlington Humane, we get all of our dogs either as strays or dogs that are surrendered by people in Burlington. Is that where you get your dogs as well? So we get most of our dogs from overseas, so more of an overpopulation type scenario. So dogs that are born on the street or just are homeless for one, one reason or another, we bring them into our care and then we adopt them out. We could also do things similar to you where we take in an owner surrender or we work with a shelter to transfer them out and bring them into our foster care program. So what countries do you adopt dogs from? I would say our most predominant partners are Mexico, Costa Rica. Those are the honestly the main top two. Cayman Islands, different Caribbean islands. We recently had to change the places that we import dogs from because there was a ban that was put on. So there's 113 countries that have been removed from allowing dogs to enter Canada. What's the ban all about? Uh, so the ban, from how I understand it, is related to rabies and preventing that from coming in the country. Um, but I've spoken to a lot of dog rescues that have never seen rabies come up, that even though they do international rescue in those countries. Mm -hmm. Now, what are, what are your criteria for bringing dogs into Canada? Yeah, so we definitely understand that there's already a lot of dogs in Canada. So we do our best to not replace a dog that you could typically find at a normal shelter. So, you know, any kind of breeds that you see already within Canada, we try to avoid as much as possible. Um, so you uh, usually we'll see like a pot cake type dog, which is like your 30 to 50 pound kind of mix brown kind of funny looking thing from like Santa's helper from The Simpsons kind of dog. 
Um, although we get some particular breeds at times as well, but yeah, so we try to avoid taking in any dogs that could replace what people could find locally. Um, so the look in general is more specific. And then also we look for dogs that have, um, or one are healthy as well. And then also behaviorally doing well. So, you know, things to consider, like we want dogs to typically be good with other dogs, wanting to have a connection with humans, um, you know, dogs that will thrive in an urban setting um, because there's no point in bringing in dogs that are going to have issues here when we already have dogs that could use our support mm -hmm. locally. So we try to pick dogs that, you know, they're just, unfortunately, we're born on the street, but they're more so happy-go-lucky. They're good with humans. They're good kind of existing in this way. Um, but there still is definitely a transitional period of getting a dog used to our area. Um, you know, some of them have never been a pet before. So we're seeing what they're like in a shelter environment. They're moving to a, their first pet kind of like home. Mm -hmm. So then do you do assessments on the dogs before you bring them into Canada to ensure that they meet the criteria of, of being good with people and and not having large health concerns? Yeah, so we've definitely amped up. Like, we've been around for nine years, so each year we learn more and more about dog behavior. Um, but an example of a dog coming into care right now is we would have our vet care coordinator review all of their vetting, ask any questions or do any additional testing while they're still in that country to make sure that they're a good candidate to come to Canada. Um, and then we also do behavioral assessments. So we ask for video footage of how that dog's interacting with other dogs in the shelter. We're asking for footage of how they're doing with the people. Sometimes there's kids on site that are able to interact with the dogs so we can see what they're like with kids. We also do cat testing with the dogs. And we basically, we have a team of people who are more advanced in dog behavior understanding. And they'll give us an assessment based off of seeing the videos to see if they think that the dog would be suitable to the typical home that we have available to us. So do you have contacts down in the various countries that, that help you to choose the dogs or do you just go down and, and choose dogs that are wandering on the streets? Okay, great question, which I always forget to mention. So we do not go to another country and just assume that we can support without talking to locals. So we always are working with partner rescues to take in dogs that they've identified as needing to be rehomed in their local community. So, you know, it would be for me an unfitting situation for me to go on vacation in another country, see a dog on the street and just think that it needs me because it's different than what I know from living in Canada. You know, I also believe that there's a lot of really happy street dogs that do not need human intervention. And I mean, even if you go to a typical beach in a country and you see those beach dogs, they're chubby they're rolling on their back they love what their life like i'm not i can't even give them that life here right like there's a lot of dogs in other countries that are doing amazing and we have no desire to help you know take them out of that situation there's also a lot of community dogs that are living on the street but they get support from the community maybe they get fed at a local diner uh, maybe they go home and sleep at night similar to maybe like an outdoor cat would they maybe wander during the day um, so yeah, back to your question, we always work with a partner shelter. So they've identified dogs that have either been abandoned or like surrendered to them, dogs that they have found that are unable to basically survive where they are. So maybe they've been hit by a car, they have a disease like mange or something that's kind of just like 
creating a reason for them to not be able to do well on their own. And if that dog can't um, or isn't going to be able to be successful being released after getting any attention that it needs maybe more medically, um, then it's a dog that goes into their shelter system. And then we work with those shelter care workers to identify what dogs come to Canada. And what's the criteria to bring dogs into the country? Uh, There's a couple vetting related things like rabies is something they need to have their rabies vaccine Mm. if they're coming from a country that has rabies Um, there's a couple vetting things they have to be a certain age Um, if they're going to like into a rescue they have to be eight months or older um yeah it doesn't sound like there's a lot there's not like there's not too much which is obviously good that there's regulations around it to make sure that things are going well but not so stringent that it's prohibitive For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So then once the dogs get here in Canada, do you have a shelter which you house the dogs in? So we have no shelter. So we work with foster homes 100% or sometimes the dog might need to go to a boarding situation for a small period of time. Um, Yeah. So we only bring in a dog if we have a fit foster or adopter for that dog. So unfortunately, we have dogs that, you know, I work with a shelter in Mexico. Today, they have 300 dogs. So, you know, we could take any number of those dogs if we wanted to, but we just have to go off of what homes we have available and we take the dogs based off of, you know, when we've screened someone to be a good fit for that dog. Hmm. And if somebody wants to be a foster, how do they go about getting in contact with you and letting you know? Yeah, so if they go on our website, saveourscruff.org, we have... Uh, like I would say first just go look at the frequently asked questions figure out what most people are asking when they come into the organization space for the first time and kind of get a fit of like is this a good idea for me Um, there's a foster application there's also the process is shown there but essentially you fill out a foster application we review the application and we do a I'd say like an interview with you, kind of get to know you a little bit more, see what kind of dog would fit into your home. We also have a training seminar that we ask all applicants to watch, which helps you kind of understand this is how to welcome a new dog into your home. And then we do things like we get pictures of your home, we do some uh, reference checks, and then we give you all the supplies and we pay for the dog's bedding and everything and you just kind of support the dog in the house. And once they get here and they go into foster, if the foster finds that there's some behaviors that that aren't very desirable, do you have trainers that will then come and help the the foster family? Yeah, so we have, so every foster family or adoptive family is set up with a counselor. So you have a one-on-one person that's supporting you virtually. If there's things that can't be supported virtually, then we can send someone to your house to do a home visit. And then... If a dog move has to happen, we definitely will find a new home for it. We always want the dog to be happy and we want the applicant to be happy to make sure it's a cohesive environment. Like if you have a dog that is outside of your skill set, then that's not going to be something that works. Although a lot of people grow into being the person that that dog needs. Mm. Um, Yeah, so we have a lot of one-on-one support available to our fosters. And how many dogs currently would you average, average have in foster care? We have about, I think right now, I counted before I came, we have about 40 dogs right now. And then we bring in dogs kind of, like, I think we have eight dogs coming in next week. So I'd say each month we probably bring between, like, 15 to 25 dogs a month. 
And then we, um, they sit, they go in foster care for a decompression for 10 to 14 days. We ask for a biography or like a, we ask you to do a questionnaire that helps mm-hmm. us understand what you're experiencing in your home. So we can provide advice and support for how to, you know, support anything that is a red flag or maybe like a yellow flag for you or for us. And then we also use that information to then build a bio to put the dog up for adoption. If that's the route we're going to go or a foster could adopt or someone from their family could adopt as well. Wow. Now, how did you get started? So I, we had a first family dog when I was, I think in grade 12. Fortunately, when our dog passed away, it was like the most devastating thing to me. Mm-hmm. I started volunteering for the Humane Society in St. Catharines because that's where I was living at the time. They had about 25 dogs that I could walk a day, which was really rewarding and kind of fulfilling that companionship that I was missing. And then when I moved back to Burlington, I, at the time, there wasn't a lot of dogs in the shelter. And I think I was used to the challenge of like the 25 dogs that I really wanted something like rewarding in a sense that you know when I actually chanted I think I chatted more with animal control when I came back Mm -hmm. and they were like we really don't have any dogs that are ever here and I was like okay well I don't know what to do then and my sister kind of was in the same space as me she had just moved out of the house and was looking for like companionship a little bit she started fostering for another organization and then um, that organization kind of fizzled away and she's like well I learned all these things from initially fostering and then kind of growing into being one of the leaders of that org that she just started her own and then I jumped in started running the social media and it just got so big Mm -hmm. Uh, so you know it was initially just a passion project we just wanted to help you know on our downtime Um, so a dog here and there and then we just got a lot of traction I think a lot of people resonated with the work we were doing we were being really honest and transparent on our social media and we just kind of i don't want to say like blew up in a sense but we just like we we yeah we started to have a large community that was around us and for us it was like okay well do we want this passion project to help more dogs so we just kind of grew into an organization and when when was it founded 2014 Wow, so you've been going for almost 10 years. Yeah, we're celebrating We're celebrating our ninth year anniversary this month. We're hosting a big party in Toronto. I'm, I'm already looking at the 10th year. Like, I'm excited for that big, like, 1-0. I think that'll be a milestone that I'm excited about. So if people want more information about Save Our Scruff, they can go onto your website, which is? SaveOurScruff.org. Yeah, take, us, take a peek. There's so many different sections. Look at our Instagram. It's even more fun. Lots of videos, lots of cute photos of dogs. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jenna, for joining us here at Burlington Humane. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Bye-bye. Summer is coming, and everyone is looking forward to beautiful sunny days. However, when the temperature soars, a parked car can quickly become a furnace, endangering an animal's life. Even on relatively mild days, with the car parked in the shade and the window slightly open, 
an animal can die in a parked car. With only hot air to breathe, a dog's normal cooling process, panting, doesn't work. Even a short time in a hot environment can be life-threatening. I left the window down for him. It's not too hot for me. I wasn't going to be gone long. No more excuses. It's imperative that each of us, as animal owners, is responsible in providing the proper care for our pets. Never leave a pet unattended in a vehicle. Owners who choose to leave pets unattended may face charges under the Criminal Code of Canada. And if you see an animal unattended in a vehicle, report it. Call 911 or your local police. No more excuses. Act fast, save a life. For more information, go to www.nohotpets.ca. No more excuses. Nohotpets.ca. And now it's time for news and events. Burlington Humane is a non-profit organization and we rely completely on donations from our generous supporters to continue finding forever homes for our animals. We do not receive any type of government grants from municipal, provincial, or federal governments. If you are able to make a donation to Burlington Humane, it will go a long way to helping our animals. All donations of $20 or more will receive an income tax receipt. You may choose to donate monthly so you can provide continued support to Burlington Humane. You can even leave a legacy by providing a bequest in your will and ensure that your support continues long into the future. All donations are very much appreciated. Thank you from Burlington Humane. Are you prepared to help your pet in the event of an accident? What will you do until you can get them to the veterinarians? Burlington Humane is proud to offer Walks and Wags Pet First Aid course. Walks and Wags Pet First Aid are national leaders in pet first aid and have the longest standing pet first aid course in Canada. It has earned the stamp of approval from Animal Wellness, North America's top animal wellness magazine. This hands-on live practical gives you the skills and confidence to deal with illness and emergencies. The 10-hour course deals with how to prevent injuries, early signs of illness and poisoning, bandaging and splinting techniques, emergency medical conditions, choking, artificial respiration and CPR, and much, much more. Upon su successful completion, you'll receive a certificate valid for three years. Our next courses will be July 9th and August 13th. Go to our website at www.burlingtonhumane.ca for more information. Pet First Aid. Is your pet a calendar star? 
your pet could be featured in Burlington Humane's 2024 calendar. Go to our website to find out how to submit your pet's picture to be included in next year's Burlington Humane calendar. All pets will be in our calendar with a lucky few being featured in the various months. Be sure to submit your pet's picture. The deadline is the middle of August, so register today. Your pet could be a calendar star. Be sure to stay informed about all the animals that are available for adoption. Be sure to subscribe to our social media pages to watch these videos. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel titled Burlington Humane, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Videos of our animals can also be found on our website, www.burlingtonhumane.ca. Stay informed and up to date with Burlington Humane. We are preparing for a long, hot summer, and Burlington residents will be able to enjoy Nelson Pool run by the City of Burlington. It is now time for your dog to take part in the swimming fun. On Saturday, September 9th, your dog can join in for our Pooch Plunge. Register your dog for a 45-minute swim. The swim is open for dogs only, while owners keep watch to ensure their dog's safety. For extra safety, you can bring your dog's life jacket. Go to our website to register your dog in one of four time slots beginning at 1 p.m. until 5 p.m. at Nelson Pool in Burlington. Join us for Burlington Humane's Pooch Plunge. Rev up your motorcycle and join us for Rough Ride, Burlington Humane's motorcycle charity ride. Mark Sunday, September 17th on your calendar. We will have a scenic run starting at 9.30 at the shelter and a barbecue and refreshments afterwards. You can register online at burlingtonhumane.ca. You can find our Rough Ride page under the News and Events tab. Pledge forms and route maps are also available on our website. So tune up your bike for a day of riding and fun on September 17th to support the animals at Burlington Humane's Rough Ride. We have new hours at Burlington Humane. Our hours are now Tuesday through Saturday between 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. and are now open for walk-in adoptions. You can speed up the adoption process by filling out our adoption application ahead of time. The application is found on our website at burlingtonhumane.ca. You can preview all of our available animals ahead of time on our website. When you come in, you will complete the application, have an interview with our adoption counselor, and if you're approved to adopt, you will be escorted through our cat rooms to meet our animals. We ask that everyone wear a mask in the shelter and that all members of the family who will be living with the cat join the appointment. We look forward to seeing you! To find the latest information about events, ways to make a donation, the animals that are up for adoption, and much more, visit our website at www.burlingtonhumane.ca. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to stay in touch and up to date with Burlington Humane.
Rev up your motorcycle and join us for Rough Ride, Burlington Humane's motorcycle charity ride. Mark Sunday, September 17th on your calendar. We will have a scenic run starting at 9.30 at the shelter and a barbecue and refreshments afterwards. You can register online at burlingtonhumane.ca. You can find our Rough Ride page under the News and Events tab. Pledge forms and route maps are also available on our website. So tune up your bike for a day of riding and fun on September 17th to support the animals at Burlington Humane's Rough Ride. Well, that's it for this episode of Burlington Humane, the podcast of the Burlington Humane Society. I want to thank our guests, Ryan Rainville from Skedaddle and Jenna Bai from Save Our Scruff. Be sure to subscribe to Burlington Humane on iTunes. We are located at 740 Griffith Court in Burlington, Ontario. You can visit our website at www.burlingtonhumane.ca or give us a call at 905-637-7325. You can also find us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. My name is Doug. We'll see you next time on Burlington Humane. Bye-bye. My society, my society, Burlington Humane is my society.